0: everyone, this is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing today, Jess? No, I am good. I have been researching
1: all day. I feel like that's all I've been doing for a couple of days on tonight's topic because it ended up being a much bigger deep dive than I ever thought it would be. This is something I don't know that we would have ever picked. I had never heard of this, these brothers before. Me neither. But thanks to Bibliomancy, which we did for our New Year's <laughs> episode. So if you haven't listened, going go back. That's what chose this topic, and oh my gosh, it is! It's a crazy story. It may, be, I venture to say, it may be one of my favorites. I. I know. So honestly, I wish I could say I've been doing a lot more and have exciting news, but I feel like that's all I've been doing is researching and writing. (laughs) No lie. Um.
0: So what have you been up to? You may have something more exciting. Um. I don't. Well, it's exciting for me. I basically had a chaos day at work today (laughs) with like little things going wrong, but it being one of those days where you can roll with it and like just cackle maniacally when you start talking to your coworkers about what's gone wrong and it's only eight o'clock in the morning oh my gosh and the whole day continued that way but like i'm not going to be in the net office for the next two days because i have a work thing over in east texas mm-hmm. and i'll spend all day tomorrow driving i get to hit the funeral museum in houston again on my way because it's part of the thing awesome uh, i'll be picking up some root beer for my mom and stepdad and so like My day's gone so many directions today. I don't even count it as sideways anymore. I'm like (laughs) parallelograms stacked awkwardly on top of each other. So I am here for whatever you tell me about today. I love bibliomancy, obviously. I already told you about that Mm -hmm. in the New Year's episode. But like knowing more about the history about it. I've never heard of these people. I have no idea what's going on, and I am so ready for a story.
1: I know, and I have to say, for those that listened to that New Year's episode, which was hopefully all of you, during that entire episode, I kept calling them the Edie Brothers. That was the first thing I learned during my research. It is the Eddie Brothers, but I do apologize because every now and then I slip up and call them the Edie Brothers, so putting it out there. Please forgive me if I accidentally mess up. But yeah, so that was the first thing I learned after that episode. And I remember we were sitting there talking, Caitlin, and being like, is this even going to be a good episode? Like, who are these guys? Like, do we even care who they are? And yes, we do. We we do care about the Edie. Ah, see, I did it! I did it! <laughs> I am trying so hard. I'm. Um, excuse me, the Eddie family. Just, just bear
0: with me as we go through this. But I'm ready to get started if you're ready, because I feel like this is going to be a long one. No, for sure. I am super ready to dig in anyway, just because I already said I love bibliomancy. (laughs) And apparently I'm going to get repetitive now if you don't start doing the talking. So let's get into it.
1: (laughs) No, that sounds great. So first of all, before I jump into this, I have to give so much credit where it is due. And that is to historian Jason Smiley. He is like the authority on the eddie family and he has done so much research and a lot of the information i have this evening comes from him. so please look up jason smiley he has a website it's easy jasonsmiley.com he's also if you go on youtube he's done some lectures which i actually got to watch one of those mm. so he is brilliant and he is supposed to be coming out with books all on the Eddie oh. family. They're not out yet, but my fingers are crossed they come out really soon. Um, So if she... Jay- book news alert! Book noodle alert! I, oh, I, I checked, like, because um, the podcast I listened to was two years ago, so I ran to his website to buy the books, and they're not quite out yet. So I'm like,
0: oh! <gasps> this is right up there with Brandon teasing us with his book coming out later this year. Like, I want the books now.
1: I know! I know. So... Jason, thank you for all your research you've done. He is the authority. Do you know how we feel about historians that do like all the research? Like he's done a brilliant job. So, with that being said, we will get started. So, the Eddy family in 1830, a farmer named Zephaniah Eddy married Julia McCombs, and this marked the beginning of the mysterious Eddy family of Chittenden, Vermont, and I hope I said that right. I have been practicing. <laughs> Together, they had 11 children including Horatio and William Eddy, which history would know them as the Eddy brothers. Now, while our main focus will be on them, it is worth saying that all of the children had these supernatural gifts. And many of them actually went went on to perform exhibitions and hold seances. So even though history really just talks about the Eddie brothers, this was like a family affair. Well, okay, except for the firstborn son, which is kind of sad. Apparently, John Wesley Eddie didn't possess any of the same gifts as the other children. So... Mm. I know, it's kind of sad. The firstborn apparently didn't get it, but the rest did. Now, it all is said to have come from their mother, Julia. So she had amazing abilities, and she had the gift of mediumship. She also had prophecy, and it said she, I don't really, they said omens, the gift of omens. Whatever that means, I guess she could say. I guess- yeah, yeah, maybe reading omens? Maybe. They just said omens, but she was definitely a medium. Hmm. Now, Julia wasn't the only one in her family said to possess these abilities. They said it was kind of hereditary, and it went back several generations, beginning with a great-great-great-great-great-grandmother who was condemned as a witch in Salem and sentenced to be burned, but she was saved in the end. So... She survived.
0: Do we have her name? Because we've covered Salem and we have the list.
1: Well, I looked into it. And so has Jason Smiley, the historian. He apparently has really researched this. And sadly, at least at this time, there is no historical evidence to support this claim.
0: I know. It's family lore and no... Corroboration. Yeah, that day. I think
1: it was a grandmother like four times removed, something like that. But yeah, so they can't we can't prove it, but it's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Now, Julia did at first try to hide her abilities from her husband because he was really religious and he believed them to be the work of the devil. So she didn't really want him to know what she could do. However, once their second child was born and began exhibiting these same abilities as their mother... It became harder and harder to hide. The alleged supernatural gifts of the Eddie children, except for the first, <laughs> which is sad, included wrappings, prophecy, healing, speaking in sp- strange tongues, levitation of objects and people, psychometry, clairvoyance, clairaudience, I guess all the clairs to be honest, spirit writing, <laughs> yeah, and the materialization of actual spirits.
0: I feel like they listened to our seance episodes and just ticked off everything on the list. (laughs) Pretty much, basically. To be fair, there are 10 of them doing this. Well, there are. When you play mix and match, it makes a little bit more sense. But like, wow, is there anything they don't do? It it doesn't sound like
1: it, to be honest. And it said even when the Eddie children were infants, they would disappear from their cribs and then mysteriously reappear in other parts of the house. Or I've even heard they'd appear like away from the home. Like three miles away and make their way home. I mean, it's it's a little far-fetched, but
0: this was the claim by the family. E- e- either it's not real or it's horrifying <laughs> as a parent. Like, where'd the kid go? Oh, they just dematerialized and appeared at the neighbor's house. Well, exactly. Exactly.
1: We're going to kind of see this a lot with the Eddies. The children were often seen by their father talking to figures in the field when they were supposed to be working. And when Sephaniah would go to tell them to stop and get back to work, the figures in the field would have disappeared. So they're talking to mysterious people. Now, when Horatio and William Eddy began attending school, this phenomena wasn't contained to the Eddy house. At school, items like books and slates would levitate across the room. One author I was reading likened it to kind of the movie Carrie, but that seems a little extreme, (laughs) to be honest. But they hopefully no pig's blood. (laughs) That's the first thing that went to my head. So I don't think any of that happened. I mean, this was causing disruptions in the classroom. They couldn't have this happening. And it's interesting because they point out it was Horatio and William. But I mean, all the Eddie children had this gift. So it may have been more. Regardless, due to this activity, the boys were banned from attend- attending school at a young age. Cause- I know. I know. I mean, I guess you can't have items just flying around and things happening. That would be a distraction. I mean, people would,
0: there were brats who'd steal things from my desk when I was in school and they didn't get kicked out. I don't see the difference. <laughs> exactly. I can't do my schoolwork without a pencil. Disruption is disruption. That's true. Well, the Eddie's could have floated one back over to you if you needed that it. That would have been super appreciated. I should have gone to school with the ed- Now, the children's
1: abilities were not the only strange things happening at the Eddie farm. So this is just wild. So one of the family legends is that of a phantom carriage. One evening, the Eddie family heard the sound of a carriage coming down the road. It was said that the whole family, including the father, saw, and I guess the firstborn, saw the carriage stop at the house. But when they went to fetch a lamp to go back outside to get a better look, it had disappeared, and there were no tracks left in the snow. Now, Julia and her children took this as an omen that their grandmother Lydia's death was near. Poor grandmother. She's probably just... Yeah. Like you're gonna die soon, sorry. And their prophecy came true. She did die shortly after that. However, it was said that the grandmother would often reappear in the home at her spinning wheel and she first appeared translucent but later became a more solid form and was a comfort to the
0: children. They looked forward to it. Aw, that's sweet. I know it is kind of sweet. And I want to say the carriage of the impending death is an Irish thing.
1: Well, it may be. And I'll tell you what, the town where I worked, which you know it is, there is a legend of a phantom carriage Mm. that used to go down Main Street. And, like, the entire, all the town would see it. So I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder if this is, like, more common than we know.
0: That's also possible. Because, I mean, something picking up the person who's going to die kind of makes sense. So... It's not a big stretch.
1: No. No, not at all. Not at all. So that- I'm like, I'm clearly
0: American because my familiarity with it is rooted in Darby O'Gill and the little people.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, if any of our listeners, if you let us know if your towns have any phantom carriage stories or where you live, it'd be really
0: interesting. We should cover phantom uh, vehicles at some <gasps> point, like phantom carriages, ghost ships and the like. Yes. I love that. Ooh, especially ghost ships.
1: I love the old ships. Yes. I love it. So <laughs> okay. Mark it down. Now, that wasn't it. It was also said, this is so creepy, that everyone in the family, again, minus the dad and the first son, knew when they would die and even wrote the time and date in the family Bible like well in advance of their passing. And it all supposedly came true what now for example one of the siblings miranda Eddy, who was said to actually be the most powerful medium in the family she wrote down the time and date of her death and it did come to pass but it's even creepier because what is said is after she died she reached up with her own hand and closed her own eyes again after she was already dead
0: uh, um that's a family story like that is creepy That's not a wholesome story. Yeah, no, I don't know what to do with that. That's either she wasn't quite dead or good God almighty, what's going on?
1: (laughs) At the Eddie farm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, here's another one. And this was actually documented in newspapers around Vermont and New England. So on Friday, December 13th, yes, Friday the 13th, a meteoric stone fell on the Eddie's farm around 540 p.m accompanied by this brilliant light it was documented you like jason smiley actually had the newspaper articles which is so cool because it was documented throughout vermont and new england it went into the ground and it charred the grass around it and being the eddie family they viewed it as an omen like yep somebody's gonna die and in fact three of the family members did die not long after so that happened
0: (laughs) I mean, if if they were under the meteorite when it happened, that's not so much an <laughs> omen as it is a current event. But if they died shortly after, I can see the point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody was under it, but
1: it it did. Apparently, I, I, I just think with this family, if something weird happened, it was an
0: omen. No matter what happened, it was an omen. And I have to wonder if they're always right or if the ones they were wrong about weren't talked about much in family lore and so it's not known i think you may be right actually that sounds
1: pretty pretty true now the last one the eddie children even reported seeing their father's doppelganger roaming around the house on
0: occasion which doppelgangers creep me out so much Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the joking doppelganger thing of like, there's a lookalike that, you know, somebody met, looked like me on the other side of the country. I it just means people resemble each other. But right. like actual factual, I thought you were my parent walking around my own house. Yeep, yeep and yikes.
1: Yeah. Don't like it. Not at all. Now, again, we talked about like their father was extremely religious and he felt all these strange happenings were evil. They were the work of the devil And even I feel bad because the children would often try to deny it or hide their gifts because they didn't want to upset their dad, who Mm -hmm. sounds a little crazy, but he was resolved to drive the spirits away. So first he just tried to pray the children's abilities away, but that didn't really work. So yeah, shocking. So he moved on to more torturous means of removal. Yeah. So warning guys, it's a, it's a little graphic so he would often starve his children he would beat his children whenever they would fall into deep trances he would like pinch them but then it's also said that he would place hot coals on them and even pour scalding hot water on them to oh try my to- god yeah it's horrifying it is horrifying Awful, awful, awful
0: man. Yeah, there goes all the commiseration I have of, yeah, it is challenging to deal with a family full of abilities like this. Nope, all the sympathy has gone. Yeah, no. And it, and it doesn't really get any
1: better because since their father's horrible methods weren't working, he decided he'd just make money off of them instead. So I guess if you can't beat it out of them, you might as well profit from it.
0: So he... Oh, but Claflin of him.
1: Oh, this is so But Claflin. So But Claflin. He put them into traveling shows to make money. Naturally.
0: What else are you going to do with kids with special abilities in the 1800s?
1: Ex- I know. This is like a theme. It reminds me so much as I was doing this of like child stars, like their parents that like mm-hmm. r- not all child stars, but a lot of them, it's not a good life. And they yeah, that. I feel like this was the version of in the 1830s, 40s. Like,
0: Yeah, the version where the parents would take all of the money from the star's mm-hmm. proceeds and then like the kid turns 18 and has nothing because mom and dad have been spending mm-hmm. it for 18 years.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Now, we know he put Horatio and William into these traveling shows. There's also reports that Mary were, was a part of them as well. We pretty much know that. And I even heard one of the sisters, Sophia... But it's, it's kind of hard to tell because most of the history is centered around William and Horatio. But it does look like some of the other children were involved. Now, the Eddies said they toured from 1856 to 1871. But historian Jason Smiley says that from his research, he believes they really probably only began touring around 1862 or 63. But
0: How how old were the kids at this point?
1: Well, here's the hard thing. When I went to look, I was curious a lot of their birth dates, like I went to find a grave, mm-hmm. they're not available. It's unknown, mm-hmm. unknown. Like a lot of their birth dates are unknown on there. And like yeah. William claims he died at age 99, but even that's disputed. Was he really 99? Was he not? And so I was trying to do it. So if it's 1856 and they're they're not like, they may have been younger, but if they're not getting involved until 1862, they're they're not little children by then either. So I actually, I knew I had the same question and it's kind of like, I don't really know.
0: I mean, with 10 kids, the youngest might have been little, whereas the older ones were like late teens.
1: Yeah. It's just hard not having their official birth date. So you don't, yeah, you don't really know how old they were, to be honest. Because like I said, people really question whether William really did die at age 99. A lot of people don't think he was actually that old. So I don't know. that's that's the honest answer so they they could have been in their teens or they could have been according to him he would have been like 30 at this time which is like that's not a kid so no (laughs) that that part was really confusing to me but anyway regardless or and and like I said it also depends on when they start if they start in the 1862 they're much older if they are starting at 1856 well yeah they'd be a lot younger when they did it so It remains a mystery (laughs) right now. But regardless, the Eddie family members performed throughout the United States and even overseas. They visited town halls. They charged 25 cents to view their exhibition. Eddie brothers claimed to have performed in front of Abraham Lincoln and even Queen Victoria. Again, no historical proof supports these claims. (laughs) But we know both were avid spiritualists and Mary Lincoln was you know, often met with medium. So it's not, especially with the Lincolns, it's not completely far fetched that maybe.
0: Yeah. It's not a stretch at all to think that that could have been possible.
1: No, no. But I guess we we just can't prove that it actually happened. Now the Eddie's used a spirit cabinet in their exhibition. Very, (gasps) yes, very similar to the Davenport brothers who had preceded them, who we know all about the Eddie brothers. Uh, would be tied up by audience members. They would go inside the spirit cabinet. Instruments would be placed inside the middle of the box. The doors were shut, and no sooner had that happened, the instruments would begin to play. And even a spirit's face or hand may appear out uh, out of the cabinet. The Eddie siblings in the box would actually vary from each show. So it was usually... Horatio and William but sometimes it may be Mary in there maybe Sophia they kind of changed it out depending on the show it was also reported by the Yeti family I mean they're really good at self-publicizing I mean they're clearly (laughs) (laughs) Um, that while an exhibition in Buffalo New York Horatio levitated 26 evenings in a row while he was bound to a chair and his chair even rose so high that it hooked onto the hall chandelier yeah So, just
0: flying through the air every night for 26 nights. Randomly getting stuck on the chandelier, you know, much as you do. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, very impressive.
1: Extremely impressive. While much of their audiences did consist of true believers and supporters, no shock, there were others that just looked at them as frauds. Yes. So, in an attempt to prove the authenticity of their spiritual gifts, they would actually have audience members in each town Form committees to examine them and their cabinet to ensure there was no foolery or trickery. So it sounds like they led this. It wasn't the town doing this. Like, So they would seek out committee members that were upstanding and respected members of the town. And <laughs> this part cracks me up. They would also seek out committee members. Um, because they were going to be tying their hands, they wanted committee members that were sailors and or carpenters. Because they were experienced in tying good knots. So they wanted them on the committee, too. Oh,
0: so they weren't pulling the Davenport trick where they had a special knot that they could get out of. They were straight up finding sailors to put proper knots in place. Yeah, which is actually,
1: that's pretty bold like that. Yeah. And that you're letting them do it. Now, this did take a dark turn. Some of the ways they were tied up were just extreme and we may have to put this with the podcast but if you google it you you can find ways they were tied up Ooh. and I mean like some are crazy looking one they had on because they would do public demonstrations but they'd also do private so in one of the privates they had a four poster bed and of course in like each limb was attached to
0: one of the posts I know which sounds a little, <laughs> it sounds a little, that's a it, little more kinky than it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> It's a different kind of exhibition that I realized we were signing up for. I know. I oh, I know. When I saw the image, I was like, "Oh, hello!" But they were fully dressed. <laughs> were That's fully good close. to know. Good clarification. Yes,
1: but they also like t- they'd be bound in chairs, but they'd be like doubled over. It looked really painful. Um, one of the brothers had a dowel in his placed in his mouth, so he couldn't use his own voice. And it was said that sometimes they they tied them up so tightly that they had severe marks on their wrists and body from the ropes and they had like scars for life from some of these because they, they which i mean if you're telling people to tie you up as high as you can they're gonna do it yeah yikes i know that just seems that seems like a lot to go through i mean that's pretty impressive you're letting people completely tie you up in all manners of like i when i look at it i don't know how they would have ever gotten out of some of these But regardless of their efforts to prove their authenticity, the townspeople still believed the family to be fakes and, again, doing the work of the devil. So, on several occasions, they had to flee for their lives. It said Horatio received a scar after having a brick thrown at him. He had fingers broken. William and Mary both had scars from bullets when they were fired upon. Horatio had a stab wound in his leg. Oh, this is like the Davenport brothers. Their spirit cabinet was frequently destroyed by angry moms. Natural.
0: It's hard to run away with that part of your <laughs> yes. show. So that would often get left behind, I imagine, and therefore sh- smashed to bits. Yeah, yeah,
1: it didn't, it didn't do well. Said in West Cleveland, they barely escaped from being tarred and feathered. I know. And on another occasion, they were tied to a rail, carried out of the town by a mob, and just told never to return. So, I mean... This is like extreme. Yeah. We've heard of mobs at some of these. I mean, the Davenport brothers had it bad, too. I don't think the, the Fox sisters had angry mobs, but I don't think they had anything quite like this, at least that I've read about.
0: I know they had a couple that had potential to be like this, but they got like four right. warnings or they were able to dodge them. Mm -hmm. I have to wonder if because there were so many of them, it was harder to get away quickly.
1: Oh, maybe that would make sense, actually, because
0: like the Davenport brothers, we know that they were, you know, chased out of town, but they didn't have quite so many wounds. However, there were only four of them in the entire crew. Right. And only two of them were on the billing most of the time because it was just the brothers. The rest of their team wasn't always talked about as much. So,
1: yeah. No, it makes sense. And I mean, and sometimes the family would split up like William and Mary would go off and do their own thing. Horatio would be by himself. Sometimes Mary was holding these performances on her own. So they weren't all. So it's kind of interesting. I think that's why it was a little bit hard to research because it was almost like it was always changing. And it's like, now they're together. Now they're together. You know, it was kind of the show was evolving over time so now we're kind of getting into the 1870s and around this time their mother Julia passed to the spirit world their father had passed before them and you know not super sad about that after what he did really okay with that one yes but on December 29th 1872 the matriarchy of the Eddie household passed away at her predicted time and date
0: naturally already
1: written it down that makes planning pretty easy like okay probably need to head on home yep
0: definitely make sure I have that will
1: done (laughs) Exactly. Before she passed, not only did she prophesize her time and date of her death, but she said there would be an incident with her body as it was carried to the grave. Now, while Julia had wanted her spiritualist friends to serve as pallbearers, instead, it was her husband's friends that carried the body to the final resting place. And apparently, these new pallbearers were in a feud. And as they walked with her body, they began arguing with each other. And it got so heated that they accidentally dropped the coffin and it just tumbled over end. And it was said this is
0: exactly what Julia predicted would happen. I mean, you tell me incident with a body and start talking about pallbearers. We can all predict what's going to be the problem.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's it's not funny, but it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like a comedy of errors. Like, yeah,
0: it's it's funny in a horrifying way of like. Yes. If you'd let me have the people I wanted, this wouldn't have been a problem. But no, you had to have your way. And now you're embarrassed because your friends screwed up. Good job. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So just Cheapers. another crazy. Wait, didn't he you- die before her? How come his friends were doing it?
1: I don't really know because it didn't really explain that part of it because he did die before, at least according to Find a Grave. He's already well past. So I don't know. That <laughs> but- makes even less sense uh yeah welcome to the eddy, eddy <laughs> fair I mean, enough this is far to... for the course <laughs> i mean and that's why I, when we, we were researching i kept telling you i was like caitlin the story is just it's crazy like every turn it's like what <laughs> what is happening now what next and it exactly and now we're going to continue with it so around this time the eddied siblings they had returned home from the road to vermont and they decided to convert their family farmhouse into lodging for travelers and they named it the green tavern inn and it also served as the a farm as well the cost of stay was eight dollars per week and the farmhouse was described by thomas smith as a plain one standing a few feet from the road two stories high so nothing spectacular and from all appearances appearances it was a traditional working farm And the Eddie brothers spent their days tending to their crops and chores, caring for their guests. But things were a little different when night fell. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun,
0: dun. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, when the Eddies moved back home, they did make a slight change to the farmhouse. They added a room onto the back of the home. But this was not for the purpose of guest accommodations. It was for the spirits. So construction began on the circle room or seance room in December of 1873. It was on the second floor in the back section of the Eddy house. The circle room was actually, they called it the circle room. And just a reminder, when they, we think of just, it was always called seances, but they often called them circles. So when you hear circle room, it's not necessarily the shape of the room. That's just what they call a the seance. It was a rectangular shaped room that was completely unfurnished with the exception of a stove, three to four common chairs, which were plain chairs, a few long benches and a table on which was placed various instruments such as violins, accordions, harmonicas, bells, etc. Now, at the far end of the room was a small two foot platform with a railing and a very small closet and the closet would serve as a permanent spirit cabinet. I did like this little note. The rail was added to this platform basically as a precaution due to the previous attacks on the eddies by angry mobs. So they went, up, went ahead and put up a rail just just in case.
0: That's not a terrible
1: move. <laughs> and we will post them. There are full on diagrams of this room so you can see exactly what it looked like. So from that point on, seances were held for the inn's guest each evening except for Sunday's. And it was said that after all the chores were done and the guests had finished their evening meal, William would come and say, it is time. And the seance would commence. It's also important to note that you couldn't just show up at the Eddie's home for one of these seances. If you wanted to come, you had to write a letter to the Eddie's and then the spirits would be the ones to choose who got to attend one of their seances. Yes, and this is fascinating. They never charged for the seances. Really? The only co- No, they never caught. Co- they never charged a penny. You just had to pay to stay at the house. So the seance was basically just included. <laughs> like That's the best bed and breakfast ever. I thought the same thing.
0: I would stay at a bed and
1: breakfast if a seance was included.
0: Oh, shoot. Like, yeah, full weekend stay with a seance on Saturday. Absolutely. Oh, no, you would get it every day,
1: just not Sunday. Ooh. Yeah. Even better.
0: Can we so, open this bed and breakfast? <laughs> we kind of need to. <laughs> I mean, one of my like low key dreams is to open a B&B. I see a theme developing in front of us. I vote we do it.
1: I I love it. Bed, BBS, bed, breakfast, seance. <laughs> seance. I was trying to work it out. I love
0: this idea. The spirits and spirits bed and breakfast. We'll serve cocktails (gasps) while we have the seances. Nobody stole that idea.
1: We may have to cut that out because that is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. See, they were ahead of their time. They had a brilliant idea. Genius. I love it. For part of the seance, they actually had three types of circles or three types of seances. The first was what they would call the light circle. Well, I won't say the first in order, but the first one we're going to talk about, I should say. These were conducted by Horatio Eddie in a very lit, well-lit room. That's why they called it the light one. Blankets and shawls would be hung up on the platform, basically to serve like curtains, and behind the shawl was the table with all the instruments on it. Horatio would sit in front of the shawl and bring one or two audience members to sit next to him, and they would all hold hands, and then the instruments would begin to float above their heads, and... And begin to play and even spirit hands would reach above them and through the shawl and it said at times these hands would appear to be old or those of a child sometimes they'd look like a baby's hand and at other times they'd even be missing a finger or two and if they're everybody's really lucky the spirits would write a message on a slate and this all took place in a very bright well-lit room Ooh. So the next one was the dark circle. And so those were condu- conducted in complete darkness again by Horatio Eddie. And it, so what would happen is Horatio would have the table with the musical instruments kind of in front of the platform. There would be no shawls or blankets hung, and he would be bound to a chair next to the table. Mm-hmm. And it said that during the dark circles the instruments would be heard playing, there'd be strange noises, furniture would be thrown about they would hear the spirits moving around in the darkness and then when the lights were all relit the table and all the instruments would be thrown about the floor but Horatio would still be bound to the chair so that was the dark circle now I told you there was one more this was called the materialization circle during the materialization circle William Eddy would step into the closet or spirit cabinet on the platform And the only thing inside was a small wooden chair and a window for ventilation when needed. Now, after William entered the closet, a shawl would be hung over the door. And once inside, William would fall into a deep trance and soon the spirits would begin to emerge from behind the shawl. While the spirits were often the seance attendees' loved ones, that wasn't always the case. So during the seance, other spirits would often come to speak to the guests. These spirits were of all different shapes, heights, ages, genders, you name it. They spoke multiple languages and were from all over the world. Oh, wow. I even love this. There are even a few spirits that made several repeat appearances at seances, including, and it just says pirates. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Politicians. The old witch of the mountain.
0: Whoever that is. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) A sailor named George Dix and two Native Americans, Honto and Santum. And Honto was said to be the most frequent spirit of the seances. And I do have to put in a note, and Caitlin, you'll know this too. There was a lot of cultural appropriation during this time. It, It wasn't unique to the
0: Eddies. This was Native American spirits coming through in seances. I mean, we've all heard about the Native Native American spirit guide and you uh, wonder how often that's the case versus I want to be tied to something that I see as mystical because I haven't bothered yeah. actually learning about the culture or their practices.
1: Exactly. And even William Eddy considered Santum to be his spirit guide. So. Naturally. <laughs> Yes, so if this is happening here as well. But it's also said that even their own mother Julia appeared on October 2nd and was said to have spoken for fifteen minutes to the audience. So dear old mom shows up. What's up, Mom? I know. Now what's what was really interesting to me, this was the most popular and impressive of all three circles. And yet they always did this one at the very beginning. They got it out of the way, and then they had the light circle and the dark circle to finish it off. It's like save this one for the very end like why are you giving them the best one at the very beginning unless it's like to hook them
0: i could see if you want to hook them in but i can also see it getting the hard one out of the way and then being oh, able true. to like as the night progresses you, you you do the more and more coasty ones
1: that that makes sense too that makes sense too now we do have a really good description of a seance and it comes from thomas smith and charles sizer who actually attended four of these in april of 1875 so, the first seance I went to was conducted in the evening, beginning about 7.30 p.m. Eight people crowded into the room, with many seated on a bench holding hands. William Eddy stepped inside the cabinet on the platform while his brother Horatio played the violin, performing familiar tunes, Sacred and Secular, to which the audience sang along. So, that was kind of the opening. We're all going to sing together. <laughs> After about 10 minutes, the curtain on the cabinet would be pushed aside, and there stood the first of 15 spirits that would appear during the 50-minute session. The spirits danced, they rapped, they materialized cloth out of thin air, they were illuminated under strong lantern light, and it said that visitors could clearly discern their features. The men also attended, of course, later the light and dark circles, which involved musical instruments, as we know, flying through the air. But they were convinced the Eddies were real because it said it one of the seances, I, I would guess the materialization one, a shaker woman who the whole audience recognized stepped forward. She answered questions. And then another shaker woman they all knew came forward and answered even more. And it's and it says they were both unmistakably dressed in full shaker costumes, even to their caps and handkerchiefs.
0: Hmm. But
1: the shakers are also very big in this area. Yeah. So I'm like it wouldn't have been that hard to it get it really of. wouldn't
0: have been the, the costuming <laughs> of that would not have been a reach
1: no no but that apparently fully convinced these two men that this had to be real interesting now yeah now the circle room wasn't the only place they held their séances they also took place in the woods near the home at a place called Honto's cave and Honto is one of the Native American spirits mm-hmm. that often came through. Now, it wasn't a cave. It was basically two large boulders leaning next to each other. And during these seances at the cave, William would be bound to a chair. A shawl was hung in front of him. He was always behind a curtain or some sort. I'm noticing
0: that theme, yes. You
1: know, it, good, you're noticing the trend. And soon after, the spirits would begin to materialize and step out from the shawl. And a lot of time at Honto's cave, these were... Allegedly Native American spirits.
0: I mean who else would it be?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now, as you can imagine, by eighteen seventy four, the Eddie brothers' reputation has just been spreading throughout Vermont and beyond, and soon their story caught the eye of a man called Colonel Henry Alcott. And this is where it's gonna get kind of interesting. So, Colonel Henry Still Alcott comes into the Eddie's lives. So, he was initially a reporter who wrote for the New York Tribune in the 1850s. And then, when the Civil War broke out, he joined the fight and was enlisted by the U.S. government to, and this is important, remember this, he was enlisted to investigate suspected frauds at the New York Mustering and Discharging Office. And he was so good at his job, the War and Navy departments also enlisted him to seek out fraud. And fraudulent behavior. And for his work, he received the highest praise from the department heads, and he was even put a member of the team that investigated President Lincoln's murder. Ooh. So this yeah, this is a guy that has been sought out by the American government to find fraudulent
0: behavior. That's impressive. And you said Alcott. Any ties to the family that we know? Alcott. I don't know. What family do we know? But Louisa May Alcott.
1: Oh no, sorry, it's Alcott. I was that's what I was like, okay. wait, what do, yeah, it's O L C O T T. Sorry, my accent probably makes it sound different, but I was like, I don't know an Alcott. Do we know Alcott? <laughs> no, no, of not, 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 not no, no. <laughs> yes. Now, following the wars in, um, Alcott began practicing law in 1868. So he becomes a lawyer. His clients are some of the largest corporations in the country. And then he decided, hey, I'm going to resume my journalism career. And began writing for newspapers again. So highly accomplished. Now in 1874, reports of strange happenings at the Eddy house were spreading far and wide. And Alcott learned about them when he read an article on them in the Banner of Light spiritual newspaper. And he became fascinated and he wanted to learn more. So he spoke to the editor of the New York Sun and convinced the paper to let him go and investigate the family. So he goes to the Eddie home in September of 1874. He stays with them for a week. And his initial investigation revealed that they were authentic. These spirits were the real deal. Now, when the New York Daily Graphic read about his investigation, they gave him their own assignment, which now they wanted him to stay at the Eddie homestead for 12 weeks. So he could conduct a thorough investigation. Three months at the Seance House. Three months. Yes, of the family's supernatural claims. And they even sent him with an illustrator to make drawings (gasps) of all the spaces. That's why we have so many drawings of the rooms is because of this illustrator.
0: That makes perfect sense.
1: The investigation begins. They have this man who was hired by the government to seek out frauds now living in their home for 12 weeks to figure out how they're doing it. So Alcott described the brothers as the following. This is what he says about them. There is nothing about the Eddies or their surroundings to inspire confidence on first acquaintance. The brothers, Horatio and William, who are at the present mediums, are sensitive, distant, and curt to strangers, look more like hardworking, rough farmers than prophets or priests of a new dispensation, have dark complexions, black hair and eyes, stiff joints, a clumsy carriage, shrink from advances and make newcomers feel
0: ill at ease and unwelcome. I mean, if you have stiff joints, you're going to be clumsy of carriage. Like, you're not going to walk and hold yourself properly if your joints hurt. No, but I just love that's how he opens.
1: Like, that's And he also noted that they were on very bad terms with their neighbors and those in the surrounding region at large. So
0: I guess nobody liked him. I mean, that's not surprising because people tend to not like businesses opening up next to their farms sometimes. But no. the, yeah, the physical description going in depth, like when I first met them, I wasn't impressed at all. And here's why list, 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 uh, list, list, exactly. list, list. <laughs> Not exactly a glowing review of the Eddie brothers. Like, unless the follow up is like they presented themselves like ballet dancers during one of the seances. (laughs) I don't understand how them being stiff of joint is going to play into this in an important way. we'll, We'll
1: see. So he did what he was supposed to. He investigated all parts of the circle room, including above and below. He even enlisted the help of a team of experts, including engineers and carpenters. To look for false panels or passages, none were found. Alcott checked for trap doors in the floor, in the floors of the rooms below the circle. So he was checking for trap doors below the circle room. And then he even went up to the attic and like searched the entire attic. And so no evidence was found that there were any trap doors and um, so forth. It all appeared normal. Now, the one thing that gave him pause was the window in the spirit closet Mm -hmm. and he worried someone could use the ladder to climb up to that window but during these circles and seances he would have someone positioned outside that window to serve as a guard Mm -hmm. to make sure nobody came in and out of that window so that kind of took care of that now he was even allowed to move about the room during the seances and interact and examine the spirits he brought in a scale to weigh them what? So he he made the spirits get up on a scale and he did say their their weights changed every time so like we said Honto was one of the ones that came frequently every time she appeared they would make her get on the scale and every time her weight was different and it was also said that her weight was way too light for like a normal human Huh. so and then he also had a measuring stick next to the door so he can measure their height. It reminds me of going to the doctor's office like
0: get on the scale we're gonna check your height. <laughs> Like if so you don't mind, is... just hop on the scale for a hot minute, love. I know you came from the other side <laughs> to visit us for a few minutes, but if I could just bother you for a hot minute, just let me measure your height today. I exactly did he account for if they were touching the ground or not? Because if they were hovering two inches above the ground, they're gonna be two inches taller.
1: Well, so, no, I no he was. He apparently they were almost like they, they were. They were all on the full ground. body apparitions. They planted, were all full bodied. Yes. He even took a sample of hair from one of the spirits for analysis. I didn't hear what came back, but he, he was able to cut a piece of the hair. Now, he, he, he thought he was he was like, okay, this seems to be legit, but, I'm, but to try to throw off the eddies, he made them hold their seance in a different room one night. Mm-hmm. Can't do it in your circle room. He picked the room, and it said no sooner had they hung up their shawl and William stepped behind it, the spirit of a woman holding a baby came forward. And appeared. Yikes. So, what were his findings? He completed his thorough investigation. And he reported in the New York Sun. And it was titled, People from the Other World, his report was. And Alcott came away from the experience as a committed believer in the spiritual and mediumistic powers of the Eddie brothers. Now, he did admit, he went on to admit there was some trickery used in parts of the circles, but... He believed all the manifestations were real. He claimed to have seen around 400 apparitions emerge from the spirit cabinet during his time. And he would later describe the story of the Eddies as marvelous as any to be found in history.
0: Did he break down what he did find was trickery?
1: He and he may have, I'll be honest, I didn't go into that much detail uh-huh. looking everything. It sounds like it was more during the light and dark circles, like kind of maybe the instruments or things like that's what I was thinking. On. I was thinking about the instruments, yeah. too. Yeah, I think that that's what it sounded like. It was during those parts, because all all the stuff basically William did and all that that was all real. Now, of course, after Alcott's report is published, the Edie Brothers' notoriety grew and, and it's starting to bring more attention to the farm and the family. Now, you're going to love this because now more people are coming. So one of the people that visited the homestead was Madame Blavatsky, who was a Russian occultist and spir- and spiritualist. Now, during her visit, of course, spirits began appearing and one of them was said to be her family's deceased bodyguard. This is creepy the bodyguard came forward and presented her with medals that had been buried with her father.
0: What?
1: That's what she said. And this is so interesting. Just a little side note. A few lo- years later, Alcott, Madame Blavatsky, and William Q. Judge founded the Theosophical Society in 1875 together. So they all meet up again in
0: 1875. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, so like she makes an appearance. It's crazy. That's nuts like I knew she was famous but I didn't even think about them all working together because I don't think about the Theosophical Society that much yeah I don't either I had to kind of look it up I'll be 100% on <laughs> it's mostly that I've come across it in passing like obviously it's going to be a topic at some point but right, right. Like, the name that I know is hers so I was blown away and then realizing that they were all tied together like through this family yeah. like what the
1: what and and, and our, as our story is coming to an end, you're going to hear another familiar name, too. So, really, the 1874 in Alcott, this was kind of like the high time for the family. And after this, their lives really kind of began to fall apart. Oh. I know. Doesn't that always happen? Yes. <laughs> Despite still having faithful followers, the growing critics and some mounting evidence of fraudulent behavior, see, was just proving too much for the Eddie's. The Eddies would even go on to inform a reporter who came to see them from the Boston Herald that they would cease holding silences at the end of August of 1875. From here, their story, it kind of, it was kind of hard to follow. I know William, Eddie, and Mary went off. They were still performing some. Other members of the family were still holding circles. Horatio stayed at the farm for a while. It's almost like they kind of scatter. And and eventually, they all stop holding these circles and seances but in in the historian jason smiley noted a lot of this was because they are proven as frauds spoiler alert we're about to get to that oh no but also just spiritualism as you know is kind of starting to die out too it's kind of like they kind of died out with spiritualism as well the aftermath eventually everything ended And even the infamous family homestead was demolished in
0: 1898. No!
1: And it was replaced by a more modern building, at least for the time period. Naturally. And William was the last of all the siblings to pass away in 1932. Like we said, he claimed he was 99 years old when he passed. We don't really know for sure, but he was the last. So, to end, were they frauds? Over the years, there were many times that the Eddie brothers were proven to be frauds. And one occasion when they were on the road traveling, unbeknownst to the brothers, committee members actually put black lamp oil on the musical instruments before the demonstration began. Mm. So the Eddie brothers' hands were tied. They were put into the spirit cabinets. The demonstration commenced. But when it was over, their hands were still tied, but they were covered in black lamp oil. So somehow they had gotten them untied. Um, during other public exhibitions, audience members would physically assault the materialized spirits they, and during the seance, only to reveal that they were actually the mediums or their accomplices wearing costumes.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So later, a man named Chaplin, who proposed to be a medium that could perform materializations, was exposed as a fraud. And that's when he confessed that he was performing the seance by the same method that the Eddies taught him. so yeah also during and this is all kind of during the 1860s so this is before their heyday but we also have to remember news doesn't travel that far you don't have the internet so unless you're in that town or area you're probably not hearing about all this Um, but during the 1860s the eddies were arrested several times for fraud and performing exhibitions without a jugglery license. And I had to look that up.
0: That's what got the Davenport brothers.
1: Exactly. So I had to remind myself because I'm like, I know we've talked about this. So just a reminder, jugglery was manipulation or trickery, such as the sleight of hand, and many considered mediumship to fall in that category. And to be able to do these acts, you had to pay a license fee of $20. If you didn't have your license, you couldn't do it, of course. And of course, the Eddie brothers were not alone. and <laughs> People that got charged with this. And one of the most famous. Do you know who one of the most famous people was that was charged with this? Like other than Davenport brothers. I found this in my research. I
0: don't know, but I can
1: guess. I didn't know it either. Uh, Charles J. Colchester. Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> There is actually a case. I'm going to make my husband read it yes, for our upcoming Absolutely.
0: episode.
1: But I probably have them backwards. But it's like United States versus Colchester or Colchester. How would they do it? But it's like, there is a case all about this. <laughs> How I'm did like, we not know about this? I'm telling you, everything comes back around. Oh Everybody God. comes back around. But no, Colchester is going to come back up in a future episode. Oh,
0: yeah, Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so i thought that was great so now what finally did it this is what took them down in the 1870s an anonymous letter was published that fully revealed how the eddies performed their tricks and it was said to have come from one of their sisters that sounds familiar i was getting you echoes of maggie on that one
0: not maggie uh, echoes <laughs> of leah on you- that one
1: yeah, well, I was thinking of Leah, and then I thought of Utica standing up in the middle oh of the Oh, my God, face. right?
0: Yeah, she Utica and, oh.
1: <laughs> and Leah. I know. Laughlins so, and foxes, yeah. does anything not tie back to that? It all ties back. Now, there was no proving that's who did it, but they're pretty sure it was one of the sisters. So the letter said that in the Eddie's home, there was a special hidden staircase built next to the chimney underneath the circle room. And the spirits, a.k.a. the Eddie's family and friends, would climb the staircase and enter the spirit cabinet through a sliding door in the floor. or I think it's in the floor, but there was a sliding door. Now, if you'll remember, when William entered the closet during these circles, Horatio would begin playing music and the seance attendees would be singing. And this was all done to mask the noise of the spirits entering that cabinet. Now, William's room was adjacent to the kitchen below and doubled as storage for props and costumes, <laughs> and this is where they would change their outfits. And it's also said that William Eddy usually was played the role of the male spirits, and he would sometimes mask his voice by speaking through a tin trumpet. So that happened. And they also produced generic spirit cactus characters that a member of the audience might recognize as their long departed relative so kind of like the shaker lady you just get one of the outfits they would wear and oh that's somebody's sister or grandma and how the spirits confirmed their identities was when their names it sounds like i may have this wrong but it sounds like when the audience members would call out their names they would like knock three times but they had like a trick to be like oh that's who it is it was through knocking Hmm. but regardless the letter called them entitled crook spirits I love that. <laughs> that sounds like a bitter sister. Mm-hmm. And but Horatio was adamant that it was all false, and he even invited people to come see for yourself. or not frauds, but I mean, the damage was pretty much done. While the original Eddie home is no longer standing today, the one they built in 1898 is still there, mm-hmm. and it is still said that strange things happen in the home. So that. Is the Eddie Brothers. Oh my
0: goodness.
1: (laughs) I'm telling you. And apparently that is just scratching the surface. Like, like, and there were so many deep dives I wanted to go down. I cannot even tell you. And I'm like, Jessica, you can't. You can't. You have to get this podcast (laughs) recorded. uh, It is, it is wackadoodle. It
0: is just wild. This is impressively chaotic. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I talked about my work day being chaotic. Nope. I take it back. <laughs> I had a demure day. It was laid back and chill compared to the chaos that was their lives.
1: I, I never expected that. And they were written about by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the History of Spiritualism book. Mm-hmm. He did, which is how we found them. I read through that and he really, it seems to me from reading him, believed them to be authentic. That they were real. I
0: mean, Which, he thought everybody was real. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He like, did. bless. He, he, he believed everyone.
1: I know. I mean, God love him. I'm just like, oh. He did. So, uh, But they are obviously in his book. And so that was an interesting read. I really thought when I went in to research this, I'll be honest. I'm like, is this going to be boring? Is this going to be just, yeah, they did a spirit cabinet. But no, no, it was
0: not a boring <laughs> Search. that that's that's definitely good to know now that you mentioned that Doyle covered it I'm super curious if Houdini covered it in his Magician era Among the Spirits book
1: he may have and that's something I heard a little clip on this and to be look because there was in one of the interviews with Jason Smiley he I believe it was in that interview he talked about they knew Houdini or like they compared like how they got out of their like, how they got out of their ties with Houdini. There was there was a... What I mean, it the Davenports
0: taught Houdini how their knots worked, so there's definitely a tie-in there, no pun mm-hmm. intended. Um, <laughs> but uh, they at least don't have their own chapter in The Magicians Among the Spirits. Like, they don't have the chapter like the Davenport brothers do. Gotcha.
1: It, it was probably something similar, yeah. just like, here's how we did it.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna stick with a tie-in, or I'm gonna stick with a pun. The tie-in is obvious. <laughs>
1: i love it so i mean i think just from now on when we get stuck it's like bibliomancy
0: i mean if we come back to them because you find a whole other episodes worth of information i'm not gonna fight you
1: no i i, I think even instead of me researching yeah if anybody can get in touch with jason we'll get in touch and we need him on yes. because there are so many questions so many questions <laughs> I,
0: yes we need his expertise I want to know so much more about them. If all of this information lives in his head, like, A, we need those books to come out, and B, (laughs) we need him to come on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Yes, because I remember he finished up, what a tease, he finished up his lecture, and it was brilliant. It's so worth watching on YouTube. And he was like, this is just the beginning. He's like, and he he hinted at there is some even crazier stuff in their history and also on youtube and forgive me i don't have the name maybe we can link it one of the eddie's descendants through mary interviews like her father about what he grew up hearing she interviews jason smiley um we can put that link but that's really interesting to watch and hear from their the family's perspective about it it was very cool so yeah
0: oral history absolutely
1: And they they talked about how no one had heard this history, and I'm like, I am so glad. Hopefully, this will get their story out there even more.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Cause they're too interesting to be forgotten. Like, not that anyone deserves to be forgotten, but like, how how have we not heard more about these people? I'll be honest, I had never heard of them, which shocks me.
1: I had never heard of them. I think they're very well known up in Vermont because
0: that's where they were. Vermont so I think- is like this big. I know. That tells me nothing. That's like being known in <laughs> Delaware. Come on. I know. I think their story
1: is well known there. But yeah, I mean. Actually, really I have own- a new
0: friend in Vermont. I should see if she knows who they are.
1: You should ask her. And you know, someone asked partly why. Well, we kind of know why they faded away a little bit. But I also wonder is once they got started and got big, it's the 1870s. And it's like they were kind of at more of, not that it wasn't going on, but it's a little more of the tail end of it. It's not like right there at the beginning. And I wonder if that's also why they're kind of. Yeah, they're part of the mess that was the
0: golden age of spiritualism. So they were just a, a, a name among many.
1: Yeah, I kind of wonder if that's why. Yeah, that makes sense. Too. Um, but anyway, there we go.
0: <laughs> wow. Like I I I feel like I'm embodying the gif of Owen Wilson where he's just going wow <laughs> over and over again cuz I have no other response. I don't I know. I can't I have no like wow. <laughs> I know. And with that, we will leave all of you. Yeah, that seems like a... I have nothing to contribute. We'll just abandon you here. Good luck recovering from the story that Justice told all of us. (laughs) There you go. And if you enjoyed the story, then by all means, do us the favor and appease the podcast gods by leaving us the rating and review that we always ask you for on Apple Pod or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. And if you haven't yet, why haven't you subscribed because that way you know when we release new episodes and you don't have to rely on the social medias that you should also be following to know when we release new episodes.
1: This is very true. And we, of course, always want to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought about this episode. And if there are any other spirited topics or people you want us to explore in future episodes, you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at Calling All Spirits Pod at gmail.com you can follow us on patreon
0: thank you to our patreon yes we don't have any new ones to add to our thank you list yet but we are super excited about all of the stories that we are apparently going to be getting from grace and her mom for (laughs) our paranormal day episode and possibly more listener episodes if we get more stories from all of you so like if you need someone's example to follow we have a patron who is currently giving us a million stories, and it's a, super exciting. Oh! Yeah. And then, of course, if you're feeling lucky, you can try to contact us by building your own circle room that's actually a rectangle, and and see if you can make contact with us. But you may have better luck with the email. Just saying. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you, everyone. Until next
0: time. Bye. bye.